Hello, and welcome to Solid Word Bible Church. On behalf of Pastor J. Curtis Costin, we are delighted that you are joining us and trust that you will be blessed as you apply these truths to your life. Who can stand against the Lord? No one can. No one will. Who can stand against the King? No one can. No one will. Oh, 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 victory belongs to Jesus. Victory belongs to Him. Oh, 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 victory belongs to Jesus. Victory belongs to Him. Who can stand against the Lord? No one can. No one will. Who can stand against the King? No one can. No one will. Oh, oh, oh. Victory belongs to Jesus. Victory belongs to Him. Oh, 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 victory belongs to Jesus, victory belongs to Him. Oh, 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 victory belongs to Jesus, victory belongs to Him. Oh, oh, oh. So we put our trust in you. Yes, we put our hope in you, Lord. Cause you will deliver. You're a provider. I find my Victory belongs to Him. Victory belongs to Jesus. 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 Victory belongs to Him. Vict
belongs to him. Oh, oh, victory belongs to Jesus, and victory belongs to him. Oh, oh, victory belongs to Jesus, victory belongs to him. Oh, Hey there, Solid Word families and kids. We have worship and a Bible lesson specifically designed for nursery through fifth grade age children. Go to solidword.org solidkids and please check it out. In the meantime, enjoy your time of worship with the Lord. May God continue to bless you. Hope that all of you are staying safe and healthy. Miss you guys so much. Um, this next song that we're going to do is called Done. And it just talks about how what Jesus did for us on the cross completes the work. There's nothing else that we have to do to get to God on our own because it is finished. So hope this encourages you.
next part, even as you're at home, I hope that you'll worship with us and you'll just repeat after me. All right? Here we go. morning, Solid Word friends and family. Uh, I am excited to be sharing God's Word with you again this morning and excited to be coming alongside Pastor as we walk through the book of Ruth. Uh, prayerfully and hopefully, you took Pastor up on his challenge to read the book of Ruth. Uh, as he stated, it's only four chapters. It's a quick read. It's an easy read as well. Uh, and it just helps provide context as we walk through these uh, sermons in this series that we're doing on Ruth. And for a few brief moments this morning, we're going to be focusing on Ruth chapter two, the entire chapter uh, two of Ruth, uh, and talking about uh, sovereign, the sovereign connection of Ruth and Boaz. And, um, and really, uh, because of the length of chapter two, not going to open up with reading every verse, but we will read the entire chapter as we move through this sermon. Uh, and so at this moment, if you would, please join me in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come thanking you and praising you for who you are and for who you have been and who we trust and believe and know you will be 
uh, in the future. God, as we walk through this book of Ruth, um, open our eyes, show us wondrous things in your word. Uh, speak to us, God. Help us to see where we need to trust your sovereignty more. Help us to see where we need to lean into you more. Help us to see, God, where we need to um, allow you to be God in our lives even more, God. Uh, as we look to you in this time of uh, great loss, disappointment, uh, great time of ruin, uh, God, I pray that we would be encouraged by what we find in the book of Ruth. Now, God, as I often say, uh, I don't need your help in preaching this. I actually need you to preach this, God. I need you to remove me from the equation, literally. Speak through me. Let your Holy Spirit have control. Uh, and then do with your word what only you can do. I couldn't do it. No one can do it but you, God. And that is to make sure that it does not return to you void. Uh, and when it returns to you, God, having accomplished the purpose for which you sent it, uh, we will be careful to give you all the praise and all the glory uh, because you're worthy and you deserve it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Uh, today, uh, the sermon aim is, is that as we move through uh, seasons of our lives, when we feel like God's hand is against us, uh, we uh, would be reminded, and the hope is that we would be reminded, that God is still at work uh, bringing about his sovereign will for our lives. Uh, and as we move through this second chapter of Ruth, uh, we will explore three points. Uh, the first one is God's sovereign protection. The second is God's sovereign provision. And then the third point is God's sovereign prosperity. Hmm. Now, <clears throat> Just as a, a bit of a recap, let's kind of just rehearse and recall what has happened so far through chapter one. If you recall, there was a famine in the land. Uh, we are introduced to a character by the name of Elimelech and his wife, Naomi, and their two sons, and Malon and Chilion, and they go to Moab to escape the famine. While in Moab, Elimelech dies, leaving Naomi and her two sons alone. The sons marry two Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah, but neither one of them are able to bear any children. And after being in Moab for about 10 years, the sons unfortunately die. And now it's just Naomi and her two daughters-in-law. Now, Naomi, upon hearing that God has provided food for his people, uh, decides to head back to Bethlehem, to head back to where she's from. Ruth and Orpah both set out with Naomi, but Naomi says, look, this doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense for you guys to come with me. I'm old and God's hand is against me, but you're young and, and, and you could have a full, complete life. Orpah is convinced by Naomi's argument, but Ruth refuses to leave Naomi and pledges to stay with her until they die. So, <clears throat> Naomi and Ruth, they return to Bethlehem, and upon returning, the city is all abuzz as they try to figure out if this is the same Naomi they knew from at least 10 years ago. Naomi lets them know that she has returned, but she's returned different. She's empty. She's broken. She's defeated. So much so that she says that they shouldn't even call her Naomi anymore, but they should instead call her Mara because in her eyes, God has dealt with her very bitterly. And by the end of chapter one, it becomes clear that Naomi believes that the sovereignty of God is at work in her life, 
but she felt that he was working against her. And just like Pastor pointed out last Sunday, Naomi's theology was correct, but her perspective was way off. Now, let's turn our attention to the second chapter of Ruth. And looking at verses one through three, we find these words. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Chapter two opens up with an introduction of a brand new character to this historical narrative. Enter Boaz, who we find out is a relative of Elimelech. Now, this should be a flag in our reading because uh, it's telling us this new character is probably going to play a pivotal role in the portion of the story. But the author turns uh, very quickly back to Ruth and back to Naomi. And we see Ruth asking Naomi to let her go to the field so that she may glean among the ears of grain. Now, we should take a little bit of time, right, to talk about what gleaning is. Gleaning is the act of collecting leftover crops from a farmer's field after it has been harvested. Gleaning is essentially begging for the scraps that have been left over. So we see here that Ruth is willing to work. She's not just going to sit idle. She knew that something needed to be done despite their situation, despite everything that's happened to them. She's not uh, going to throw herself a pity party and she's not intent on sitting and just wasting away. And let's be real here, right? She could have been swallowed up by her grief and not many people would uh, actually come down on her for that. She could have been weighed down by her loss. She, she, she had ended up losing her father-in-law. She lost her brother-in-law. She lost her husband. She's barren. She's left family and friends and everything that was familiar to her. Hmm. But instead, she accepts her current condition. Notice, I didn't say that she likes her current condition, but she accepts it. She faces it head on. She comes to grips with what she can and cannot control and begins to do what's necessary to live. And this brings me to my very first takeaway, and that is that when we go through seasons of loss, when we go through seasons of hurt and pain and seasons of disappointment and find ourselves facing the ruins of what may once have stood tall in our lives, we can't allow ourselves to become stuck not able to move forward, not able to continue living life, not able to put one foot in front of the other, but we have to continue doing those things that are necessary for life. Now, Naomi agrees and Ruth heads to the fields, hoping to find favor in the eyes of whoever's uh, field she ends up gleaning in. And as she's gleaning, it says that she happens to come to the portion of the field owned by Boaz. And again, we see God's sovereignty on display. Let's look at verses four and five together. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? 
And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Now, while Ruth is gleaning in his field, Boaz shows up. And here he is, right? The master of the field. He's the boss of everything in this field. And recall, the author has already introduced us to Boaz, and he's already told us that Boaz is a great man. He's a mighty man. He's a valiant man. And here we see a glimpse into Boaz's character by how he interacts with his workers. And when he rolls up in the field, right, he doesn't ask how much barley has been collected up to this point. He doesn't ask who left early and who came in late and who took too long of a break and who maybe left for lunch and didn't come back on time, right? Instead, he greets them with a blessing. These people who are his servants, these are people who work for him, who he could have easily dismissed at, at the whim of a notion, and he approaches them with dignity. He acknowledges that they too are image bearers of God. Boaz is also very observant, acknowledging, uh, I'm sorry, he, he notices, right, that among his workers and maidservants, there is a new face, which lets us know that he saw them as individuals. They weren't just faceless worker bees in his field. Let's look back at verses eight through 10 now. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Hmm. Now, you might be thinking, how is it that a stranger could just walk into someone else's field, right? And start taking barley. Or you might be wondering, why is it that Boaz, the boss of this field, isn't upset that the supervisor of his field, the one that he left in charge, let this stranger come on his property and start taking some of his crops? And those are very good questions if you're asking those questions. Well, first, we would uh, have to understand that Boaz was actually compelled by God's law. Leviticus 19 verses 9 and 10 uh, explains to us that, uh, that it was required that when harvest time came, the owner of the field couldn't harvest everything, nor could they come back and go over the field again to try to pick up the things they might have missed and or dropped. But whatever wasn't collected or harvested at the very first pass was to be left for the poor and for the stranger. And Ruth was both poor and a stranger. But Boaz went even above and beyond what the requirement of the law was by designating his field for her. He tells her, don't go to glean in another field or leave this one. He also assigns her to his maidservants. He tells her to stay close to his young women. <clears throat> he commands his workers not to touch her. He explains to her and, and, and lets her know that he has given his men in the field instructions not to lay a hand on her. And then he also has provided water for her to drink. He tells her that when she's thirsty, 
She can get some water from what the young men have drawn from the well. I mean, think about that. Boaz says, look, Ruth, you don't have to go anywhere. You, I've got you, stay right here in this field. Not only can you stay in this field, but while you're in this field, hang out with this group of sisters here. They are good sisters. They'll watch out for you. They'll take care of you. And, and I know you may be a little concerned about what these other dudes in here in this field might do towards you or do to you, but don't worry because I've already told them they better not lay a hand on you. And oh yeah, guess what? Not only will they not harm you, but they're going to help you because if you're thirsty, you can get some of the water that they've drawn. Amazing. And we see, right, in the unfolding of these events, from the very moment she tells Naomi that she's going to glean in the field, we see God's sovereign protection over Ruth and by extension over Naomi. And this brings me to my second takeaway. And that is that when we're trying to move forward out of seasons of hurt and disappointment, we should move forward trusting in God's sovereign protection. This doesn't mean we move forward with reckless abandon. It doesn't mean that we move forward making poor decisions and taking unnecessary risk. Uh, and it doesn't mean, get this now, it doesn't mean that nothing bad can or will happen to us. But what it does mean is because we know that God is sovereign, that he is in control of everything and can do exactly what he wants to do with all of those things that he is in control of, we can trust in his ability to orchestrate and to arrange situations, circumstances, and people to provide a covering when we're at our most vulnerable. Hmm. So we've seen God's sovereign protection on display in Ruth chapter two. Now let's look at his sovereign provision. Let's pick back up in verse 10. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Ruth, recognizing that she is the recipient of a whole lot of favor, responds in a manner that further reveals her character. After Boaz lays out for her everything that he will do to cover her as she gleans in his field, her response is gratitude wrapped in humility as she falls to her face, asking why Boaz is showing her such great kindness. She doesn't presume she has a right to it. She, she, she has a clear understanding of her plight. She has no misconceptions about what she brings to the table. She is a widow with no heirs, who is poor and is a foreigner. And Boaz has gone above and beyond what he was required to do. And so in response to her question, Boaz tells her that he's heard about everything that has happened to her and to Naomi and how she responded to those things, the loyalty and the love that she showed Naomi and the sacrifices that she made to follow Naomi. Boaz even acknowledges God's sovereign protection over Ruth and issues a blessing from God on her for how she responded in the face of all of that tragedy. Now think about it. That which Ruth had done in private 
was now being spoken about with respect and admiration in public. Her reputation preceded her and it opened doors for her. This brings me to my third takeaway, which is actually a question. And the question is, is would how you handle loss, hurt, and disappointment, would it open doors for you? Would the story of how we've moved through seasons of ruin cause others to bless us? Or would it cause others to pray for us? Turning our attention back to verses 13 and 14, then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. Hmm. Ruth started out just hoping, wishing to glean some barley, just trying to do what was necessary to survive, trying not to starve, trying to make a way for her and Naomi. She ends up, right, not only gleaning some barley, but also finding favor in Boaz's eyes. So much so that she can now participate and partake of the benefits that are reserved for those of Boaz's household. She's allowed to, get this now, sit beside the reapers. She's now given equal status with those that are there to bring in the harvest, even though she's only there to glean what's left over. Then once at the table, the author tells us that Boaz passes to her some roasted grain. This is significant and it seems like a little small uh, detail within the historical narrative of the book of Ruth, but it's significant because the idea here is that Boaz, the master of the field, the master of the house, the one who is well-established and has great reputation, Boaz, right, is actually now serving this poor widow who is a foreigner. Hmm. And she's able to now participate and partake of the benefits to their fullest extent, not relegated to the scraps, not, not only getting what's left over and what people have passed over. She's not getting any less than anyone else sitting at the table. And the author tells us that she eats until she is satisfied, even having some left over. And we see here again, God's sovereign provision on full display through Boaz, who extends to her a standing that transcends her predicament. And this brings me to my fourth takeaway. And that is that when we're in seasons of loss and disappointment, feeling like God's hand is against us, we can overlook, uh, sometimes we can overlook how God is providing for us because it doesn't look like we want it to, or think it should look like. And sometimes our pride and our ego can cause us to resist or ignore how God is providing for us in a given season. But because God is sovereign, we must learn to trust not only that he will provide for us, but that he, but how he provides for us. We have to trust how he provides for us as well. And we have to trust that how he's providing for us is what is best for us at that moment and time. Let me stay here for just a, a little bit longer and kind of stress this, especially given what's happening in the world right now. Some of us may be suffering from uh, a job loss. 
Some of us maybe are dealing with a reduction of hours and so uh, our finances may not be where we would like them to be. And we're looking at more bills in a month maybe than we've got money to take care of. And we've got uh, those that are relying on us for uh, shelter and for uh, food and for protection. Uh, and sometimes, right, our pride and our ego will keep us from raising our hand and saying, you know what, solid word, church family, I'm in need. Sometimes our pride and our ego will keep us from going to maybe a food bank that has food available, that is being given to those who are having a tough time in this moment, all because that kind of provision doesn't look like we want it to. It doesn't feel like we want it to because we want provision that still makes us feel like we kind of provide it for ourselves. But the lesson is for us is to not overlook how God provides for us, whether he does it through our own hands, whether he does it externally, we need to see it all as God's provision. So we've seen God's sovereign protection and we've looked at his sovereign provision. Finally, let's look at his sovereign prosperity. Let's look back at the text, focusing in on verse 15. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. Hmm. Now, the come up that uh, verses 15 and 16 represents is lost on many of us. And I really like this part of chapter two. This part is an exciting part. Uh, and, and it's lost on us because most of us, right? Uh, we, we really don't know what's involved in harvesting a cereal grain like barley or like wheat. Uh, and we definitely don't know what an ephah is. Uh, just as a side note, an ephah is around about five gallons uh, of, of, uh, of barley. But uh, what we see here is that Boaz instructs his workers, right, to let Ruth glean from among the sheaves. <clears throat> now, sheaves are bundles of harvested grain. And in this case, it's harvested barley. And what would happen is, is once the workers had harvested the barley, they would bind it up into bundles so that then they could just come back and grab those bundles up and, and load them into the barn or into the wagon, whatever they were uh, had needed to load it and take it away. Now, I don't want to join together uh, another idea here, because when we talk about prosperity, uh, unfortunately, prosperity has been twisted up so much in, in church doctrine and in teaching that when we hear it, we, we kind of cringe a little, right? We don't want to be associated with kind of the teaching of money cometh or, or uh, the teaching of uh, sowing a seed and, and you know, you're going to reap and all this kinds of stuff. Uh, because uh, when it's taught, it is mostly relegated, right, to money and to finances. But at its core, Prosperity simply means to advance or to gain in something and anything that is good or desirable. And here we see Ruth advancing, gaining, and gleaning. She went from hoping just to find a place to glean, to being able to glean alongside the workers, to sitting at the table and eating with the workers, to finally being able to glean directly from the sheaves. Boaz goes even further and tells his workers, look, don't make Ruth have to work too hard 
either. He's already said that she can glean from the sheaves, which are the already prepared bundles of the harvest, but he takes it even further and says, look, I don't even want Ruth to have to work too hard, even in gleaning from the sheaves. So just go ahead, workers, and pull out some grain from the sheaves and leave it on the ground so that all she has to do is pick it up. <laughs> Man, this is such good stuff. And this brings me to my fifth takeaway. We cannot limit God's prosperity to only money and finances. Hear me now. When we do that, right, we ignore or we take for granted how God's prosperity is showing up in our lives or can show up in our lives in other ways. When we only look to God to prosper us financially, we then suggest to a sovereign God that we know how best to prosper our lives. Think about that. And instead, right, instead of, 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 of suggesting to God how he should prosper us, we should instead be vigilant. We should keep our eyes open. We should be ready to recognize when God is prospering us in different areas of our lives so that we can give God praise and thanks for all the ways he's allowing us to advance and to gain in things that are good and desirable. Amen. Hmm. So, uh, uh, verses 18 through 23, I'm not going to read all of those because it's mostly Naomi getting a recap from Ruth, but I do want to highlight a couple of things in these verses. Naomi sees uh, what all Ruth uh, has gleaned, right? And, and Naomi asks, whose field was she in? <clears throat> and when Ruth begins to tell Naomi about Boaz, Naomi exclaims that Boaz is actually a close relative of the family and tells Ruth that she should continue gleaning there, following the instructions that Boaz gave her. Now, reading these verses, I have to admit, when I was preparing for this, and even when I've read this in the past, I've always been kind of like, why didn't Naomi just go to Boaz in the very first place, right? Now, some scholars suggest that maybe Naomi had just forgotten about Boaz. I mean, after all, it's it's been 10 years, right? At least 10 years since she left. And, um, and, and, and these would have been her in-laws, her husband's family. Her link to them has died. Elimelech has died. And she hasn't really been around them for at least 10 years. But to me, that doesn't seem very likely. And I'm just, I'm just being real, real because if, if I were poor, if I were hungry, uh, if I was coming back after having been gone after 10 years, you best believe I would remember my favorite rich cousin, Boaz. <laughs> but I think, in my opinion at least, that there's something else going on here. And I think this speaks more to what Pastor was highlighting last week in his sermon. And that is the brokenness that Naomi was feeling when she returned to Bethlehem. After everything she had experienced, leaving Bethlehem for a foreign land, death of her husband, death of her sons, no heirs to carry on the family name, she was probably ashamed, she was probably depressed, I'm sure angry, embarrassed, and you can just fill in all the emotions just thinking about how you would feel if this was your circumstance. And she felt as though God was against her and likely had just resigned herself, right, to live out the rest of her bitter life. But here in Ruth's retelling of her day, just one day, Naomi is getting another data point that the sovereign God that she thinks is fighting against her just might be up to something on her behalf. <clears throat> and that should be hope for us today. 
Because sometimes in life, we will experience some loss. We will experience tragedies. We will experience some events that will make us question, make us literally question whether God is for us or if he's against us. And the story of Naomi becomes a good reminder that regardless of what we think God is or isn't doing, regardless of the pronouncements we make over our own lives or the final judgments we render regarding our futures, our God, get this now, is not bound by what we think. He is not limited by what we see. He is not constrained by what we understand. Instead, he is sovereign. And he is moving, sovereignly protecting us, sovereignly providing for us, and sovereignly prospering us, even when we don't think that he is. Hmm. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of your sovereignty, not just in the book of Ruth, but in all scripture. We thank you, God, that you are a God, as, as the old saying goes, that sits high, but looks low. We thank you, God, that, that what we think is happening rarely is ever the case, and that you, being a loving, sovereign God, are always up to something. Does it sometimes hurt? Yes. Are we sometimes in places of, of, of uh, fear and sadness and anger and frustration? Yeah. That's all very real. But God, our hope is that by reading Ruth and by studying this book, that we come to a place of recognizing that you are doing more than we can think or imagine, than we see, than we are aware of in every circumstance, in every situation. God, help us to trust you more when we experience seasons of loss and disappointment. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Church family, there is something else that God has done in his sovereignty. And that is that he has made a relationship with him possible only through his son, Jesus the Christ. Jesus' death on the cross paid the price for your sins and for mine. And to be covered by his sacrifice, all you have to do is to acknowledge that you are a sinner and accept that Jesus' death on the cross allows you to be forgiven by God. And when you do this, you can begin to walk in a right relationship with this sovereign God. I pray that you were blessed by this time in God's word. Amen. You've been listening to a broadcast of Solid Word Bible Church located at 4374 West 52nd Street, Indianapolis, Indiana. We pray that you were blessed by this video. And if you made the decision to give your life to Christ, would you please share it with us so we can rejoice with you and also pray for you. Again, thank you for joining us and may God continue to keep you until next time.